Today, we're bringing you another segment in our exploration into the heart of Christian service. This one is called People, People, People. Have you ever had problems with people? I'm sure you have. We've all had problems with people one time or another. Some of us more times than others. But one thing is for certain. Believers who try to serve the Lord can and should expect to have problems with people. And people may very well have problems with them. Let's take a look uh, in, at, at, in the Bible for a few examples. How about Moses? Man, did he have problems with people. I mean, for 40 years, all they did was complain and murmur and murmur and complain. And then they griped and griped and griped some more. One day, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he asked God to take his life. Many times, the people that you help the most appreciate it the least. Jesus healed ten lepers, and yet only one, a Samaritan, a foreigner, came back to say thank you. When Paul was a prisoner in Rome, some of the Christians there tried to make things more difficult for him, rather than encourage him. Paul, however, uh, chose to take the higher road and love them and thank them, uh, I'm sorry, thank God that they were at least preaching the gospel. Ambrose Pierce wrote, I quote, There are two classes of people, the righteous and the unrighteous. The classifying is done by the righteous, end of quote. Satirical statement? Yes. But it also makes a very important point. We sometimes create problems with people because we adopt a we-they attitude. You know, everybody in the church or our Bible study class or our small group is either for us or against us. And when I say the word heretic, most people would immediately associate that word with someone who teaches false doctrine. But the Greek word translated heretic in the New Testament means able to choose or select a factious person. It basically describes a person that is running for office, seeking votes, who asks everyone, are you for me or against me? And this type of attitude very often has the effect of causing bad feelings and may even, even produce division. So, if we take the we-they approach, we may become heretics and may make matters worse rather than solve the problem. There's also a misconception out there that we have to somehow manufacture unity in the church, when in reality, it's already there. We're told this in Galatians 3.28. This spiritual oneness is a miracle of God's grace. Now, while we don't have to manufacture unity, we do have the responsibility to maintain this unity that Christ Jesus died to create. And you know, before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed about the unity of his people because of its importance. When God's people encounter a difference over fundamental Bible doctrine, there can be no room for compromise. But we have to absolutely make sure that it's a fundamental doctrine 
and not some matter that people have blown out of proportion. While its authorship may be in question, a guiding principle here is in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. The third part of this principle, in all things charity, is very, very important. Because even if we're defending the faith, we must always behave like Christians. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If they don't repent, they're the ones that have broken the unity and left the uh, fellowship. False doctrines cause divisions, and false teachers must be warned and avoided. Romans 16, 17 through 20. The truth is that very few ministries divide over doctrine. Most differences among Christians involve non-doctrinal matters, such as personality clashes, ministry methods, where the funds are going, type of music played, and the list goes on and on. A really good example of a situation that has all the potential for a division in the making is when a church receives a large inflow of cash from a will or other unexpected source. Man, everybody has a use for the money, and of course, their plan is always the best one. Appeal must, be, must precede attack if we are to act like Christians. In Deuteronomy 10, 20, 10 through 20, the army of Israel was commanded to offer peace to a city before declaring war against it. This is a good example for us to follow as well. In Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 18, we find records of Jesus' instructions to settle differences with people quickly and privately and to take the initiative in seeking peace. The problem with this is that we always think that our answer or course of action is the best one and we are prepared to stay the course no matter what. And then there are implied threats that are often part of our discussions that greatly add to the potential for a major problem. Things like, if you don't do this, me and my family will leave the church and many people will come with us. Warren Wiersbe stated that in his office, he has a small sign given to him by a friend who had heard him quote in a sermon a favorite statement from Thomas Merton. Here's the statement. To consider persons and events and situations only in the light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. Based on this statement, and if it is correct, then there are many, many Christians sitting on that doorstep because they expect everything to go their way, and they expect everyone to agree with them. Their expectancy is similar to Lucifer's insistence on being like the Most High and playing God in everyone's life. They have a malady that is a difficult disease to cure, namely pride. 
William Barclay wrote, Pride is the ground in which all the other sins grow, and the parent from which all the other sins come. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, pride heads the list among sins that God hates most. Sometimes pride disguises itself as religious zeal, and that is a real problem. When this is the case, the most bigoted believers can be mistaken for devoted defenders of the faith and crusaders for the cause of Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing is that God's servants don't always have to be right. Philippians 3.15 says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall uh, reveal even this unto you. When others don't see things your way, trust God to show them what's right. And make sure you ask God to show you if maybe you are the one who is in error. A.W. Tozer said, I quote, Never be afraid of honest criticism. If the critic is wrong, you can help him. And if you're wrong, he can help you. Either way, somebody's helped. End of quote. Those that minister for Christ should strive to minister like Christ. He washed the feet of twelve men who were unworthy of his presence, let alone his service. He received and helped multitudes of people, many of whom never accepted his message. He died for a world that doesn't want him. Why did he do it? He did it because it was his father's will, and he delighted to do his father's will. Also remember that while you are serving others, the Lord is serving you. He is working with you on earth and equipping you from heaven. Your service is never wasted, even when you feel the disappointments and pain. God is at work building your character while he is building his church. And always remember that what he does will last forever. And that makes it all worth it. Until next time, see you soon.